gold, I'm so gold. Ladies, hey, now listen. Oh, listen. Let's be reasonable. Hey, get that thing away from me. Wait a minute. What are you going to do with that? Don't give that to him. Hey, wait a minute. Let's talk about the. Ow! Oh, where are we going now? Hey, don't drop me. Oh. Oh. Lady, I don't know about you, but I'm beat. So you're the one that's been kicking me. <laughs> well, you were the one that ate all that spicy food. Hello, and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast that pretends to be about dissecting pop culture from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s from a current perspective, but is really just an excuse for us three hosts to talk about ourselves. <laughs> I'm Becky, and I'm the podcast host most likely to play the Beach Boys whenever I have sex. I am Seth Pearson, the host most likely to look at all those daddies down there. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Chris, the podcast host most likely to end up raising an illegitimate child with John Travolta. (laughs) (laughs) On today's show, we're headed back to the late 80s, where, for some reason, Hollywood had total baby brain and kept releasing (laughs) baby-centric movies. (laughs) In 1987, there was Baby Boom and Three Men and a Baby. In 1988, there was a movie called For Keeps and She's Having a Baby. And in 1989, we had the most successful of the baby movies, Look Who's Talking, which we'll be discussing today along with its two sequels. So one of the reasons we decided to do Look Who's Talking this week, in addition to it being Labor Day, (laughs) is that one of our hosts is pregnant with their first child. Congrats, Seth! Yay! I always knew I had it in me, but this time it was actually in me. I don't think it's supposed to be in there for quite that long. No! There's something called birth where you're supposed to kind of let it out. Oh, okay. Um, Let it out! How many years is it supposed to be stewing in there? Because mine's been going a good year and a half. 0.75 years. Oh. Um, you guys, I, I think I gotta go. I'll be right back in a couple hours. Do you just have a separate person inside you, like, in Total Recall when they open up the lady? <laughs> the Quatu? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I was going to say that or Encounter the Xenomorph, but yeah. <laughs> either way, you pretty much get the gist of it, Becky. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was me. I'm pregnant, you guys. <laughs> you- Congrats, Chris! Yes. Yes. Our podcast listeners were held in so much suspense. Can you see my warm glow? My maternal, that's what that is. my maternal shininess that's radiating out of all of me. I thought that was just your acne. Well, <laughs> no, Becky, it's the miracle of life. Actually, <laughs> it, it turns out, you guys, we've stumped you yet again. <laughs> again, we apologize for kidding you so much, but it's actually Becky yeah, that's having me. a child. <gasps> it's Becky. Becky is with child. And is the father Seth or Chris? I guess you'll have to wait till the end of the episode to find out. <laughs> <laughs> it's both of well, us. Did the sperm sound like Seth or did it sound like Chris? <laughs> Again, it depends on who's doing the voiceover. <laughs> or did it sound like Bruce Willis for that matter? <laughs> <laughs> Not to get off the subject of me, but what would your sperm be playing <laughs> as it travels down the birth canal? Taps. <laughs> <laughs> The Phantom of the Opera music, I think. (laughs) Uh, We can end the episode now, basically. (laughs) I actually really want to go back and, like, watch that with, like, different songs playing over it. Like, The Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) Well, Becky has given birth just now from laughing too much, so... Oh, my God. You're welcome. It hurts. Making it easy. (laughs) 
I wish pregnancy was this enjoyable all the time. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it's a real giggle fest. <laughs> I did spend some time thinking about who would voice my offspring <laughs> okay. if it were. Okay. No, it wouldn't be you. So a celebrity. No. I wanted it to be Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like that if it, if I was actually a baby, like, I was thinking Keanu Reeves, like, because that sense of, like, astonishment Whoa. at really simple things would be, you know, like, it, oh. it just kind of, it's a bit. Seth? I don't know. Oh, I've got mine. Ellen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Ellen. Yeah. Yeah. I'd go with like a Kathy Najimy. Uh, <laughs> or maybe Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> and honestly, no, that should be a compliment to both of them. Kathy Najimy. I, I would gladly have either of them voice my sperm. Kathy Najimy. You could choose anyone to represent boy Seth. <laughs> like baby boy Seth. Who are we kidding here, Becky? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so the title of your direct-to-video Look Who's Talking sequel is Look Who's Talking Still? <laughs> Question mark. Uh, so it was my choice to <laughs> have this baby. No, um, to do Look Who's Talking for the podcast. I wanted to watch it again. I guess because I figured I was going to watch it anyway because I'm watching a lot of baby movies because why not? <laughs> and I haven't seen it since I was little, so... Is this your primary research? Oh, yeah. Uh, for motherhood watching films? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, like... Yeah. Your mothers are really good. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Rosemary's Baby. Uh, yeah, that sounds about exorcist. right. Exorcist. <laughs> I want to start the episode off just with a question for you guys. Can you help me raise this baby? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, I, uh, whoa, I, I did not expect that to come up this soon. Uh. You know, me and my husband could use some help. <laughs> no, I'm curious. The movie is about getting into the mind of a baby. So I'm kind of curious what your earliest memory was. So we can go all the way back in time and <laughs> get into your mindset. I actually have thought about this before. And when I, like, even since I was a kid, when I think back to my first memory, it is just the window of our house and it's an overcast day and there's rain on the window. And for some reason, that's what comes back to me as an early memory of when I was a baby. Like, obviously not an infant baby. Do you know how old you were? Like, can you kind of... I think like one or two, maybe. I don't know if that's one of those things where you kind of suggest yourself a memory and then it becomes your first memory because that can happen with when you're trying to like think back on childhood. Like you can be kind of impressionable to things that you didn't actually experience. But let's go with that. It's a really simple thing, but it's just like a very simple image and a kind of awakening of consciousness, I feel like, where it was just like, oh, I'm a person here and I'm looking at this thing. Like, you know, obviously it wasn't a super analytical thought, but it, mm-hmm. it just, that was the first moment that I can remember, like kind of being aware of myself. That's a really fascinating question to start the episode with. Part of what these movies are is showing the perspective of a baby. And, I mean, I've definitely, like, read a lot about what memory actually is. And memories are actually always a story that you're telling yourself, and they change every single time you, quote-unquote, remember something. You never have the exact same memory twice because there is an act of creation each time you have it. So, for me, like, my earliest memories... 
I literally cannot remember at this point if it was a dream or something that actually happened in some level in my life, but I dreamt that like a car crashed into my preschool on a weekend or something like when I wasn't there. And I remembered like hearing about it and like having such like a vivid imaginative like response to hearing that like story. And again, I still have no idea if it was a story or if it actually happened. And then another of my earliest memories is... Guinan from Star Trek The Next Generation, played by Whoopi Goldberg. Because my mom, on the nights when that show would air, my mom would be, like, doing her hair. And so, one of my earliest memories is, like, sitting with my mom as she, like, had her hair in curlers and watching Star Trek and seeing Guinan. Because she always had, like, really fantastic, like, headgear (laughs) and accessories and fashion, like, space fashion. I feel like it would be more convenient if you just combine those into one and it's Whoopi Goldberg. Crashed into my preschool. (laughs) (laughs) And then talked to Patrick Stewart about life problems. Yeah, but he was wearing curlers. Definitely. He had his hair in curlers at the time. We lived in a Brooklyn apartment. We moved when I was three. So I know I was younger than that. And I remember being in a crib in my parents' room and it was nighttime. And I remember laying on the crib and being like, I want to get up because I'm awake and I want to get out. And I remember peeking over the crib and seeing my parents asleep and I like lifted my leg to go over the crib, but then I realized how high I was and I got really scared and I put my foot back into the crib and like went back on the bed and like was like scared, like I was going (laughs) to fall. Like that's what I remember. I'm pretty sure I didn't make that up. Yeah. And I know that I have, like, some other memory of, like, I know that we were going to, like, move to Long Island. So I feel like I remember one of the last times looking out my window at Brooklyn. Yeah, it's very strange Mm -hmm. (laughs) that I can remember that early. I don't really remember anything else. It's funny that you think that you would remember, like, a really great memory or a really bad memory. But those are just don't... I mean, maybe I was, like, scared, but I don't think it was, like, the worst thing that ever happened. Yeah. Well, and I think it comes more from the strength of the feeling, the emotional response you have to it. That's what makes it sticky. It's the power of that emotional response that makes you, like, remember it and develop that story of what you're going to remember about that and, like, why it made you feel that strongly, even if it wasn't, like, a hugely impactful moment in your life or something. Yeah. So let's just move on to uh, Look Who's Talking. <laughs> I have no good segue. Nice segue. <laughs> talking about babies, let's talk Let's talk some talking babies. <laughs> <laughs> Who's talking? Smooth. We're as talking. Butter. We're talking about the babies talking. Speaking of talking babies about talking babies. Look Who's Talking was written and directed by Amy Heckerling. You may recall Amy Heckerling from Clueless and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Those are both her movies. It was released October 13th, 1989. It stars Kirstie Alley, John Travolta, and the voice of Bruce Willis. The budget was $7.5 million, and the box office was $297 million. Holy fuck. It was the fourth highest grossing movie of 1989. Can you recall the other three that beat it? Batman. Batman, yes. was number two. Mm, not number one, huh? No. Roger Rabbit was 88, right? Yeah. Okay. Was there like a Back to the Future in the mix? There was. Back to the Future Part 2. Okay. was number three. Okay. No idea. It was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I am not familiar with that. No. <laughs> I actually thought Batman would have beaten that one because it's yeah, like the third too. Indiana Jones. 
Let's talk about where the cast was at this moment in time. John Travolta hadn't been in a hit movie since 1983, Staying Alive, which was the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. And that may have been more or less a hit, but it wasn't critically received well. So it was still kind of seen as a bad movie. Right. So he was definitely in a slump. This is probably coming right after the first Travolta slump. So when he was cast in this movie, he wasn't really like that much of a get. Yeah, I used that word slump when I was talking with a friend about this. And I was like, so this is kind of getting out of the slump. And he's like, was this out of the slump or was this part of the <laughs> well, slump? Well, I think it was, <laughs> you might think it might be out of the slump, but it made almost $300 million. Right. So, so it's kind of like... <laughs> he's lucky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that. He's, yeah. Kirstie Alley started her career as a model. She was two years into her tenure on Cheers, which was a huge success on TV, though her film career was pretty lacking uh, with any hits. I really liked her on Cheers. She's was, fantastic on Cheers. Yeah. Like, that is a perfectly, that's a perfectly cast and written show, like, for the most part. But uh, she stands out. She totally stood out. Yeah. And I was, I think I was, I loved Cheers growing up. Um, I think I was a little too young for the Diane years, but I was the right age when Rebecca Howe came on and her name was Rebecca on the show. So I was like, well, I like her and she's brunette. (laughs) So I identify with her. (laughs) And Bruce Willis, who voices baby Mikey, Die Hard came out the year before. So he was a huge new star at the time. Yeah, this was right between Die Hard 1 and 2. And also right after he had been on the hit series too, which was uh, Moonlighting and that Mm -hmm. had just ended. And also Amy Heckerling, this was right after Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And then she had done a TV show based on Fast Times for four years. So it was a slow time at Ridgemont High, basically. Okay, but zooming back for just a second, I could not fucking believe that Amy Heckerling wrote and directed this movie i (laughs) had no idea had not remembered at all that she had anything to do with this and i like yelled out loud when i saw the credit (laughs) in a good way or a bad way in a good way in a way that raised my expectations i have some trivia this movie is very specific to amy heckerling's experience so according to harold ramus's daughter's autobiography amy heckerling had an affair with ramus that resulted in her having a daughter while he was a married man and she used this as the plot of the first movie. What? Yeah, so this movie... Dr. Spangler's... <laughs> this movie is based off Amy Heckerling having Dr. an affair. Dr. Egon Spangler's bastard child. Oh my god. Yeah, resulted in Lucas talking. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, um, because Amy Heckerling wrote this movie, too. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a little trivia, too. So according to Kirstie Alley herself, she fell in love with John Travolta during filming, but she was married at the time and she stayed faithful but she said in an interview, it took all the power I had not to run off with him. She also like later said he was the love of her life, which yes. is a very strange thing to say about yes. someone you were not actually involved with. Yeah, so... We can talk about Scientology later. Yeah, they're both <laughs> Scientologists, so that's a whole other thing. Um, hmm. This movie has 59% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 51 on Metacritic. Roger Ebert was pro at the time. He said, This fairly unlikely idea for a movie turns into a warm and lovable comedy, although I still don't think it needed the voiceovers from the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is hilarious, because that's the movie. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be called, Look Who. <laughs> <laughs> or just, Look. <laughs> I just imagine Roger Ebert watching it and pressing mute on the remote every time the baby He's talking. <laughs> I just, I think that's, 
I love Roger Ebert. And it, that's a positive review, but still I'm like, that's so dumb. That's the movie. It's yeah. like the baby talk. It's super curmudgeonly. <laughs> a not so positive review is Hal Hinson from the Washington Post. He said, this is a great idea for a sketch, but not a feature. And if Heckerling had resisted padding it out, it might have made a brilliant short. A comedy can write only so far on high concept. It has to deliver the jokes and this one doesn't. So not quite as big a fan. Did you guys see this movie when you were younger? Yes, I saw it in the theaters with my parents. I saw it a bunch of times, like, on VHS. You know, it would be, like... It was one of the first kind of comedies I remember seeing in a theater and, like, really enjoying. And, of course, like, I knew that a lot of the content was more adult than I understood, you know? So there were things like understanding, like, what the sperm were and stuff that I didn't get until when I was watching it on videotape years after it had first come out. I saw the first two of this franchise in theaters. This was probably my introduction to sex ed and probably many kids of our eras. I don't think I was totally baffled by the sperm and egg scene. Like, I think I had some idea of what was going on there because I didn't see this in theaters. I think I only saw the third one in theaters, but I caught up with them on video because I feel like they were just those movies that eventually you're going to watch them if you're a kid because they have babies on the cover. So they seem like they're for kids, which we may discuss (laughs) might not actually be the case. I remember like seeing it on blockbuster shelves so many times. Oh yeah. The the poster was like the baby with sunglasses, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that sperm and egg are kind of seared. That egg is very (laughs) memorable to me. It's a seared egg. It's one of the few times that I have seen that on a screen or otherwise, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Chris. Oh, buddy. We've got to get you out more. (laughs) Where am I going to go where there's just eggs hanging around? (laughs) There's this place. Yeah, so I feel like it should be played in schools. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, thanks to Education Cuts, it is the only sex ed available in America now. So I'm pretty sure I learned how babies are made because of this movie. (laughs) Like, I think I put it together (laughs) because of this movie. (laughs) I don't think I saw it in theaters. Maybe the sequels I did. 1989, I was six. I don't know if my mom would take me to the movies, but this was definitely a movie I saw on pay-per-view. <laughs> Wait, we know your mom. <laughs> no, she wouldn't not necessarily take me to the movies. She would just take but... you there and leave. <laughs> <laughs> this was a movie and the sequels that I watched over and over and over and over and over mm-hmm. and over and over. I don't even know if we own them. I think it's just like one of those movies that was on pay-per-view over and over and over and then was on cable. I rewatched these movies and I was shocked how much dialogue I remembered. <laughs> Same. Like, I remember like it, whole sequences that I did not consciously remember. I, yeah. Like, it's one of those like tip on your tongue. Like as soon as she said the line, I was like, I knew that line. I watched these all the time growing up, then took a huge break. And then I would like to paint a scene for you. <laughs> <laughs> Dig, if you will, this picture. You're not painting it with a placenta, are you? <laughs> no. In 2007, my personal trainer at the time wanted me to house sit for her, like dog sit and like watch her house. And so I was like, sure. She was like giving me free personal training sessions. So I go over there and I bring some friends over and she said that was totally fine. I'm there for the first time. She doesn't have any food in her kitchen or pots and pans, but she has a ton of vodka. <laughs> her, she's got her pit bull there. And then, and this is a studio apartment. And then the only movies she has is the Look Who's Talking trilogy. What? <laughs> That's the only movies she has in her movie collection. On VHS and, or DVD? DVD. 
And so I was like, well, I guess we're doing this tonight. <laughs> so we watched wow. at least the first one and maybe part of like the second or third, <laughs> I forget. But we made it a drinking game with the vodka in our house that every time a joke came up that we didn't get as kids, we would take a drink. <laughs> and we were pretty drunk. <laughs> it happens a lot. This, there are so many jokes in this movie that I did not get Same. as a yeah. child. Um, so that was in 2007. So that was... That was literally the last time I had seen this. You know, I said that I remembered all this dialogue, but, like, I had forgotten the experience of watching this, and that's why I wanted to rewatch it again before I live it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, so let's just get into it. What did you think of watching this movie now? I had less memory of this movie than I actually had of the sequels. Um, there wasn't a lot of this movie that I found familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of agree with Ebert. <laughs> I don't feel like the baby gimmick and the human romance story really go together very well. Like, they have very different tones and kind of very different comedic sensibilities. And so, for me, I was actually kind of surprised at how the baby humor felt very juvenile and commercial, you know? Like, it, it was very like, simple. It felt like two different movies trying to take place at the same time. Like, it was weird how incongruous they were to me and that's the thing is like mentioning amy heckerling earlier i have to say i kind of wish i hadn't learned that it was her because i feel like it set my expectations too high like i literally just saw fast times at ridgemont high uh about a month ago for the first time Mm -hmm. and was so blown away by that and by like the writing in that yeah i similarly was going into this because i had not seen these movies since childhood i was never trapped in a (laughs) cabin in the woods with only these and a bottle of vodka (laughs) vodka cabin (laughs) so i had no idea really how they would hold up but amy heckerling is the one thing that kind of gave me hope like oh maybe this is actually kind of really clever because she's known for Clueless, which was a really interesting take on the teen movie that was kind of, I don't know, both lowbrow and highbrow in, in a way. And so I thought maybe this could achieve the same thing. And I, I don't think that it does. <laughs> I liked this movie. <laughs> That's because you're pregnant. No, I was really surprised. I thought it would be really cringy. And I thought it was actually really cleverly written. And it was cute and funny. And it was like a cute romantic comedy. And it had a quick pace. I liked the time jumps in her pregnancy. And just like, I just felt like it was snappy. And I was just really surprised how much I enjoyed watching it when I was totally ready to like hate watch this movie. I didn't expect any cringing, and actually I'm not sure why I didn't, because, I mean, even in that time period, there was a lot of just, you know, stuff like calling people retard and stuff that just is immediately crazy now. But I think, like Chris was pointing out, and like I was talking about just a second ago, the fact that the kind of baby perspective of things and the Kirstie Alley and John Travolta character side of the story seems so incongruous that, to me, it doesn't really work as a comedy. I agree with you, Becky, that the movie is very well-written, well-paced. It's, like, well-constructed as a story, but I don't really see it as a comedy. It didn't play as a comedy to me. It played, like, a sweet drama. Yeah, I don't... I didn't get that. I don't know. I thought it was funny. I wasn't, like, dying laughing at anything, but I was entertained. I had a smile on my face for most of it. I liked... a smile, but, like, did you laugh? Like, laugh out loud? Maybe some parts... 
I I chuckled audibly. I mean, I watched it alone. Um, um, I just I really liked Kirstie Alley in it, and I'm I, there's just something about her that I think that she's like a great comedic actress, and she is gorgeous. Even in this movie, she's beautiful. But there's something just like off kilter about her that makes her really interesting to watch, and I think she's just a great presence in this movie. I thought she was cast really well. I f- totally agree with that, actually. And rewatching these was a real shot of, like, why the hell is Christy Alley not in a lot of things? Why hasn't she gotten, like, a second and third comeback like John Travolta did? Yeah, like, after these movies, what was she in? It's because she's a woman. (laughs) No, it literally is, though. She lights up a fucking screen. Like, she really, really does. I mean, John Travolta's a pretty charming actor, too. So that's saying something that, like, she still makes that much of an impression, even watching these movies. My first note on this movie is Kirstie Alley. That's all I wrote. Yeah. Which is <laughs> because, you you, like, she's not in a whole lot of movies, especially movies that you would rewatch now. So I don't know when the last time I saw her was. And she kind of got a weird reputation, like, a decade or so ago, and did, like, Fat Actress, and just became kind of a stranger personality yeah. than, than she used to be. And so I had forgotten, really, like, what it was like to just watch her in the movie. And I did find her also really a singular person, where it's like, she, there's really just no one else quite like her and it's I don't know it's almost like a timelessness like I don't know she reminded me of like a these are weird references but a Lauren Bacall and then maybe a Lucille Ball yeah no I totally I totally get that like why couldn't she become like somebody like Kathleen Turner someone like that that did stuff in the 80s but then they pop up now and again and you're like oh I love this person but it just I don't know I didn't really do too much research in her personal life. Like, I know she went through a divorce at some point. There's the whole Scientology angle. I know she gained weight at some point where, you know, people find her unattractive and then she kind of owned it with the show Fat Actress. But, like, I don't know what happened in her personal life or professional life, but I feel like it's sad that after these hit movies, she didn't really go anywhere. And then also, like, John Travolta I found really charming in this movie, too. Absolutely! He's charming as hell. I had not seen him in like his pre-Pulp Fiction movies in a long Mm -hmm. time. In fact, I haven't seen most of those movies at all. So it was a fun reminder of like why he was a bleeding man in the first place. In the 90s, I don't think he was ever considered like particularly sexy for the most part. Like In the 90s? Yeah. Like he was more of like a like Tom Hanksy kind of like gets the job done kind of actor. Yeah. Like a character actor. Yeah. So going back here, like I actually did find him charming and to the extent that this movie worked, I thought like the writing of their romance was believable. It was it was very kind of down to earth and they had really great chemistry together. And like I really did want to see them get together. It wasn't it didn't feel like just a gimmick of the story. It was like, oh, these two people are really like firing on this kind of love-hate kind of vibe. And it actually felt like they belonged together. I wrote a note that said, have you ever had a taxi driver that looked like John Travolta? (laughs) (laughs) No, I have not. (laughs) Nope. He's also a terrible driver. (laughs) (laughs) Also on the John Travolta front, I really liked the development of his relationship with Mikey. Maybe the romantic plot between him and Kirstie Alley, like, maybe that was missing, like, one beat or two beats or maybe a bit more complication to it. But as far as, like, the relationship between him and the kid, I thought that was genuinely sweet in a way that would be saccharine in almost any other movie like this. Yeah, he was very believable as that 
dad-ish guy, even though he's yeah. not the dad in this movie, but... Father figure. Uh, yeah, yeah, he feels genuine. It doesn't really just feel like a mechanic of the plot where it's like, oh, we see he likes him because he does this. It's a it's a genuine thing that he's projecting on screen and like a chemistry with the baby, mm-hmm. like which is probably not easy to do. Yeah, it, but that was also kind of one of those sequences where I felt like if there hadn't been the Bruce Willis voiceover, like I felt like that would have hit more emotionally even. But maybe that's part of the reason why there's so much voiceover is because they kind of felt the need to try to comedy it up. Yeah, it's weird for a movie that is kind of built around the premise. I mean, I'm sure that that was kind of the lightning idea was like, what if we hear the baby's thoughts? It almost feels like this movie wasn't even filmed with that and that it was added later. I know that that's not the case. No, but it plays that way. Well, I think that Bruce Willis improvised a lot of the dialogue, but the whole conceit of the movie is that the baby talks. Right, but, like, it's really not built around that, and I feel like this movie really missed a lot of opportunities to, like, kind of be shot more from a baby's perspective and to really get the sense of wonder and amazement at seeing things for the first time. There's a couple of throwaway lines where Bruce Willis is like, hey, my arm, like, I have two arms, you know, stuff like that. But for the most part, I thought this really went for, like, really cheap jokes that didn't at all feel like what a baby would actually think. They were definitely playing to adults in the audience. Wait a minute. These things come in different sizes? What are these, jumbos? Look at you staring at that. You must be thinking the same thing I am. (laughs) lunch and this movie raised a lot of existential questions for me <laughs> oh it, it sends like you into what? a quandary do you want okay oh, do we want to go down this rabbit hole becky this is not one of them but i will say that this movie gets me much closer to george siegel's semen than i ever wanted to be <laughs> oh yeah it's his semen it's not john travolta yeah <laughs> First of all, the semen is already voiced by Bruce Willis in the beginning. Yes, okay, yes yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that means that that one semen was already like the that, baby. That one s- sperm. It's a sperm. Chris. I don't want to get into like a pro-life kind of thing, but that's some dangerous implications <laughs> right. there. That the semen already has thoughts. Right. Yes. 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 That it's, is already it's a sentient. consciousness. Yes. The sperm itself I have not is thought sentient. of this. Right? Oh, I thought of all of these things. Oh, yeah. No, I noticed that this time. The baby can understand English <laughs> from birth. Because he's responding to what they're saying. Because the first thing when he's born, she says, so you're the one who's been kicking me. And he says, well, you're the one that's been eating all that spicy food. So he understands her. Yeah. (laughs) Which, like, invalidates the entire process of learning as a child and (laughs) Mm -hmm. development where you're just already a 40-year-old man inside and that it's this very, like, kind of constant thing. Is this actually a prequel to Benjamin Button? Yeah. Like, I wanted this to be more of a tree of life kind of movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sean Penn. Or at least look who's talking. Some halfway between there. I'm joking about that. But I, I do <laughs> no, think that there's a potential for a really interesting comedy that actually like looks at a baby being kind of simple minded and like really like trying to figure out the world and kind of what he thinks of this giant woman looking down on him and you get a little of that, but I think it's undercut with sort of these like lame jokes that Because it's not really about the baby. It's about 
this relationship and, you know, being a new parent. And the arc of the movie isn't Mikey learns to do something or not. It is, I have this issue now of finding a good, a man good enough for my son. So it's all her. Well, yeah, and I like that storyline, but I feel like you can't tell that story and have it narrated by a different character who is kind of, like, stealing the scenes. Like, I do kind of think, like, she wanted to tell that story and kind of use this baby gimmick as an excuse to do it. But, like, that's actually the more interesting movie, and I would have been perfectly happy just watching that movie. And I think that also would have been funnier in the end, too. The more dramatic you go and the more work you put into fleshing out those characters, the funnier you can make those comedic moments. Yeah, like there's no plot development in the story that actually hinges on us being able to hear the baby's thoughts. Like the story would change zero taking that out. I think the baby is supposed to be the audience. Like if the audience is looking at this woman's love life and, and commenting upon it, it's just there's like an outside fourth wall breaking entity commenting on this woman becoming a mom for the first time and trying to navigate her love life. That's just what it feels like to me. Like the baby is just the audience. Yeah, I feel like there's a more clever way to do that, though. Like, if you're really going to go for that, like, go really, like, kind of sarcastic. Again, some of the lines do that, but other lines are more just like, I'm a baby. Like, it doesn't make a choice between... Omniscience and total ignorance. (laughs) Right. Like, (laughs) if it had just been, like, the total adult perspective, that would have worked, too, I think. But it wants to kind of have it both ways, and ultimately, I think it just makes the whole thing kind of feel limp. (sighs) I want to talk about this semen in utero. The whole thing. Wish Nirvana album? The whole thing in the womb. The whole womb thing. Oh, that album. Yes. That one. Yeah. I honestly did not know how they filmed it. Like with the sperm flying through the canal and then impregnating the egg. They had a really tiny camera. Well, when I was little, that's what I thought. I don't know filmmaking when I'm six. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is real. That's amazing. How did they do that? They put a camera in a woman. Boom. But I'm like, that's that is so tiny. The smallest camera in the entire world that you can put in a body would still not pick that up. I hope it wasn't IMAX. (laughs) So like I was watching it. Now, and I was like, this is filmed really well. Like, it doesn't look like computer animation because it was 1989. So I did some research. (laughs) (laughs) The fetuses were puppets. Obviously, that that I could put together. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah they were <laughs> yeah, creepy you as tell. hell. They're they're pretty creepy. They're yeah, um, especially in the beginning, the very beginning yes. when he yeah. looks more like a baby, it's a little better. It looks but, um, like the baby from dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> looks like Chucky. <laughs> so there were twelve puppeteers, some hanging upside down, that were required to shoot the scene where Mikey plays with the placenta. <laughs> um, and so the sperm, oh they were little. The sperm were uh, vi- made of vinyl. Um, They had little fishing weights in the front. They were dumped into a tank of water and they cascaded through the water and picked up and they were picked up by an underwater camera. That's amazing. Yeah. That's why it looks like that. I was like trying to figure out in my head like how they did those effects. I anticipated like the puppet stuff, but yeah, I think it's kind of amazing. And it looks it looks so convincing in the movie. Like there's like a super convincing like swimming motion like it. Yeah, so I think actually that's amazing special effects, practical effects. Yeah. So props to the movie for that. (laughs) Props to props. Yeah, in 1989, (laughs) and I was watching this from 2018 being like, how do they do that? I was impressed. (laughs) I want to talk about the maternity fashion in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Can we please? Is this a pregnant woman who would like to talk about this? 
I feel like a big fat pilgrim. <laughs> the pregnancy part of this movie does not last long, but her maternity fashion lasts forever. <laughs> we might need a social media post detailing all the fashion she wears. There's a shirt with different colored bows down the front of it and she has all these crazy headbands that i guess like equal out like her belly with like her head <laughs> volumized even her best friend um who is played by twink twink so, kaplan twink kaplan who is in clueless as uh, miss geist um she oh, has yeah. a dress that is like multicolored buttons all over it like the fashion in this movie is kind of insane and i kind of love it as a time capsule of like what was trending in 1989 yeah it's hard to tell like she has the pilgrim line and it's like is that supposed to be ugly or was it supposed to look kind of good like yeah like is that supposed to be the height of- i had no reference for the clothes in this movie like i was just like maybe that looks good or maybe she's supposed to be kind of a yeah snazzy dresser who like does weird things with bows. We need to go to motherhood maternity and find out about this. (laughs) So speaking of the pregnancy part of this movie, I wish there was just a little bit more of what I'm going through for this (laughs) pregnancy that feels like it's a million years long. Uh, She seemed to get out of it fine. No complications. That's a problem I have in a lot of movies now that I'm watching with have pregnant people in them is that I'm like, I'm dealing with a lot of shit every day and nobody in the movie seems to deal with any of that shit. They're just pregnant. Well, and like the, the biggest extent of representing troubles in pregnancies and concerns is morning sickness that's about it is you get those scenes always get the scenes of and only to discover that you're pregnant right yeah that too yeah yeah she does do exorcist voice there is that so (laughs) you have that to look for that's during delivery that's not during pregnancy (laughs) but whatever also you do not lose your stomach immediately after birth she was like back to her like size 10 waist or whatever like right after they make some comment about her boobs being big because she's breastfeeding Mm -hmm. but i'm like you don't lose your stomach immediately the rest of you would be big as well (laughs) (laughs) yeah it falls off quickly but not like two days later (laughs) it doesn't literally fall off i wish it did (laughs) (laughs) i also wanted to talk about a strange choice that heckerling made with this movie of having the baby's mouth move along with dialogue yeah okay that mr ed fucking craziness did they like put peanut butter in the roof of his mouth what did they do why did they need to have the the baby's mouth move because we'll talk about more in the sequel but in the sequel he's a little bit older but he's still talking but we don't hear what the baby is actually saying we just hear the voiceover right it just seems like she recorded them babbling but they're actually like their mouths are making the same shapes as the words that they're talking it's just that they're not in sync so the kids are saying that or something close to that but then there's no attempt to actually like sync bruce willis's voice over to the mouth moving and so that's another existential question i have is like in this world babies are constantly wandering around with their mouths mouthing words that then they're not saying and like also the the young tiny baby doesn't do that because you can't yeah make a tiny baby (laughs) say words (laughs) It's, it, I just don't understand any, like, I guess maybe they were thinking, oh, well, we'll just have someone match this. But 
I feel like that would have also been a really weird choice. If we were actually supposed to believe that the baby was talking, then we, wouldn't it be confusing, like, why they couldn't hear him or something? So that <laughs> almost single-handedly ruined the movie for me, because I was just like, <laughs> it felt kind of slapdash. Like, it didn't really feel like this had been kind of baked into the entire premise. It just kind of felt like an afterthought. Like, oh, I guess, yeah, we'll just have him mouth some words and, and see how that comes out. So, I don't know. It felt a little bit sloppy, I guess. The mobile that he has hanging above his crib, I'm pretty sure I had that same one. What is it? I don't <laughs> that, came, that was a weird memory that came back to me. Mm. It was a dog and a bunny and a horse. <laughs> I swear I had those. And I think I played with them, too, as like little toys. <laughs> it was a nice yeah, nostalgic thing that came back. I feel like as far as cringy moments, it's the 1980s. <laughs> there weren't too many. There was a whole thing about like her saying I was artificially inseminated. And he goes, what are you, a lesbo? Yeah. yeah. Or her mom was like, only lesbians use artificial insemination. What? Like, was that a thing that lesbians were the only one using artificial insemination back then? It was, yeah, a stereotype. Yeah, it, was, it was known, you know, that like lesbians would get... Yeah, would get IVF. Because it was before kind of women were allowed, in air quotes, to kind of be independent enough to say, oh, I want to have a child and I don't need a man to raise it. And that, like, even this movie is kind of based on that premise is that she feels like she needs a man to raise a child. And I think it really fits with the mom character because she is kind of a conservative character. Olympia Dukakis yeah. plays her. Yeah. yeah, she's really funny, but she's, she's definitely like an overbearing kind of critical mother. Yes. And I feel like she would be critical of a daughter who wanted to do this. And I, I do wish that maybe the movie made a little bit more of a gesture of like, oh, I'll be fine. I don't need a man. And then maybe it's actually that he ends up like charming his way in without her needing to have that quest. That's maybe how you would do it now. But I was going to say, like today, I feel like you couldn't have a comedy about a single woman whose arc includes the goal of finding a man if the man somehow naturally enters her life. But like she literally says, I'm going to find you the best daddy. I don't care about love or like anything i just he needs to be be able to support you and love you yeah well you won't find your father here i really mess things up for you i don't want you to be upset because i'm gonna find you a daddy and this time i'm gonna be smart about it i'm not gonna go for some handsome guy just because i'm in love with him you're the only thing that matters to me and i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna get you the best Daddy, there he is. I mean, that was easily my biggest problem with this movie. It's just foundationally, it assumes that a woman is incomplete without a husband, but even more so, like, a childhood is incomplete without, like, having a, a, a father. I know it would be made differently this time if it were, when it's inevitably remade. <laughs> there was a moment when it almost was. But again, it's like surprising that Amy Heckerling would choose to tell the story this way. Yeah, I feel like her personal experience probably, like she was probably working through a lot of personal issues. And yeah, like the fact that the desirable guy in this movie is George Seagal, just as a married man who's supposed to be kind of a slime, but also like nice enough that we go along with her kind of being into him for a while. Maybe we're not supposed to ever like him, though, because he's not super attractive. He's older. And he's married in the movie. Like, it seems like we're supposed to be yelling at her, like, what's wrong with you? Right. But, like, it's kind of hard to be on board with her character when she's still going after him. Like, there's a point in the movie where, like, he comes back and is trying to, like, get back in her life. And I'm just like, Kirsty, no. Seriously. And why would you ever fuck a man like that without protection? Come on. (laughs) 
You know where he's going. You know what he's doing. I do think James Ubriaco is a fantastic name. James Ubriaco? Yes. Ubriaco. That's one of the lines that when I heard his name, I was like, oh, yeah. I remember like thinking, like, that's a really cool name when I was a kid. So they definitely rewrote the the John Travolta character because it was a little bit of a darker kind of guy. But then when John Travolta was interested, they, you know, put in the thing about him liking to fly and being a pilot because that was John Travolta was in it. There's a few dance moments because John Travolta is contractually obligated to dance in every movie. And they made him Italian and they just kind of reformatted the character to be a little bit more like who John Travolta was. And he actually said in an interview of everybody he had played, I think up until that point, he said, this is the most like who I actually am. Up until Battlefield Earth. (laughs) (laughs) That was a documentary. So let's move on to the sequel, Look Who's Talking 2, (laughs) T-O-O. Good job, Becky. Look Who's Talking 2 was released December 14th, 1990. So pretty much the following year after this movie made $300 million. Um, It was directed by Amy Heckerling, written by Amy Heckerling and Neil Israel. It starred, again, Kirstie Alley, John Travolta, and Bruce Willis. And this time, the little girl, Julie, uh, Mikey's little younger sister, was voiced by Roseanne Barr. Um, I couldn't find the budget, but the box office was $48 million, so Whoa. far below. <laughs> Precipitous droppage. Far below the first movie. It didn't get good reviews. <laughs> but my favorite bad review is from <laughs> a man called Ken Hankey from, from the Mountain Express in Asheville, North Carolina. On Rotten Tomatoes, they kind of give you a preview of these reviews. And he had my favorite little tidbit from his review. And it was just called Why. (laughs) Joan Rivers voices Julie at the end of the first movie. And she says like her thing, like, can we talk? You know, as soon as she's born. Very cute little button for the first movie. Um, It didn't work out with Joan Rivers due to scheduling conflicts for the sequel. So they hired Roseanne Barr, who, you know, has been in the news lately. And (laughs) (laughs) And then very swiftly out of the news forever. (laughs) Kind of just a coincidence that all that stuff happened when we decided to do this movie. Yeah, it was it was difficult (laughs) to come into this without baggage. (laughs) Okay, so I never liked this movie as much growing up. And I think it's because I don't like toilet humor and this. (laughs) movie literally has a plot of like learning how to potty train and there's like a talking <laughs> toilet the toilet is a literal character yeah in this movie. voiced by mel yeah. brooks <laughs> yeah yeah the toilet tells jokes there's literal <laughs> toilet humor so when i was little i definitely watched this over and over and over but i didn't like toilet scenes which are like the b plot of the movie so it's this and train spotting where it's just you cut out the toilet scenes yeah and you're i I just, so that was like me coming into it. (laughs) Did you guys watch the sequel when you were little too? Yeah, I saw this in theaters. I did not, but I watched it on video. And this is the movie that I had the experience of kind of knowing all the lines right after they said them. Or I would see an image like her penguin, especially she has a stuffed penguin. And I remembered what was going to happen to the penguin Mm. and being kind of like traumatized by that as a kid. (laughs) I was very sensitive to stuffed animal abuse. Yes. Yeah, because you liked your stuffed animals. Yeah, Yeah, I did. So I remember that being a really like heartbreaking moment in a movie in a way that nothing really from the first one had kind of touched me. Hey, my friend's back. Oh, now I remember. He killed my friend. 
as God is my witness. I'm going to learn to walk and get the hell out of here. This movie is an hour and 16 minutes long. It is not even an hour and a half. Uh, what did you think? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> it feels like afterbirth. <laughs> I could sum this one up. I do not think it is anywhere near as charming as the first one. I think, I mean, I at least think that they leaven the incongruity of the two separate storylines by having, you know, Julie be a foil for Mikey. But again, it's like it's kind of two different kinds of movies happening at once. And I mean, it doesn't have remotely like the charm of the first one and I think is even less kind of close to funny. I think it has most of the problems of the first movie. For me, this one actually works better. Like, it just finds a way to balance the tone a little bit better, because there's not so much romantic comedy stuff as there is in the first one, and the baby stuff is a little bit more focused. I think that the interesting thing about this one is that it does have, like, two babies and kind of gives us the older brother perspective and has that dynamic. And while I don't think it's done in, like, a fascinating way that gives me a little bit more than just like Bruce Willis's one-liners like which are basically like said directly to the audience this at least had a relationship there and I actually thought that Roseanne's voiceover and I guess the writing of her her character to the extent that it's a character had a lot more of what I was looking for from the first movie which was what is it like to be a child and have like your favorite stuffed animal ripped to pieces right in front of you and like how traumatizing that is to you at the time and how you like want to get revenge for that like it put me in the mindset of being a kid much more than the first movie ever did so um i appreciated it on that level i do have to pay a compliment to roseanne's performance and maybe what you're talking about like the writing of it because there were moments when she was upset when something was happening and i felt for her character um but i hate this movie and i think i think it's it's really charmless compared to the first one um, there's, they have a stupid marriage and it's not realistic at all. Like the fights they have, I was yeah. like, oh my God, how are you? You're not even real people at all. Yeah. Like, I can't even remember like the, I just, that was literally, literally my note was, this is a stupid marriage. There's like, and then there's like the uncle who comes over, like her, is it her brother or something that like yeah. comes over to stay and it's like a. He has a romance with Twin Kaplan's character. Yeah, yeah I'm just Elias like... Cotillus. I just hated... Oh, yeah, their, yeah, yeah. Their, I was like, that's not how people would react in real life with marriage problems. Um, I hated the whole toilet... Like, this movie has a really weird vibe from the beginning that doesn't feel like it's written by the same people, even though she does have a credit, but there's, like, an extra person. But, like, first of all, <laughs> the fucking Pegasus for the TriStar logo has a voiceover. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought that was funny. <laughs> Weird, but funny. If it was just I that, I would have been like, whatever. But it was, like, really weird. It was, like, a weird, like, cartoony voice. I don't know. Um, there's a whole monsters bit in the beginning that was really weird. Like, there's a devil toy that shows up as, like, a nightmare or a monster he's seeing. Like, just the whole tone of it felt really strange from the beginning that didn't feel, like, the same as the first movie. Yeah, there was kind of, like, almost a Gremlins vibe to it in yeah. parts with the kind of nightmare sequences. Um, but Chris, I do kind of have to agree with you that I did think the, the developing the kind of sibling characters together was kind of an improvement over the first movie, even though I don't think there was as much of other kind of parts of it to like adhere and come together into a satisfying whole. 
Yeah, for me, this movie was the opposite of the first movie in that I was into the kids and not into the adults. Like, I don't think that the adult storyline worked that well. Um, I agree with what you're saying about their marriage. It just, like, it kind of felt, like, very inorganic. Like, they have to split up because the plot says, not because they would actually do that. The, like, toilet stuff, (laughs) um, I was actually, like, I want to see this horror movie. Like... (laughs) Of being a kid and having these, yeah. like... It's it's called Look Who's Talking To, Chris. It's a horror movie. Exactly. I mean, I think that's fascinating. And I think that that actually really works with the premise of the movie, which is from a child's perspective and how yeah. you do see things that are ordinary things to adults, but, like, to you, they're scary. And you're having this whole experience. All these movies have fantasy sequences for all the characters, not just for the kids. But I think, like, when it's the adults, it feels really cheesy i think a lot of the time and for the kids it makes sense because kids do do that they are having kind of a separate experience with the everyday world that adults can't actually you know know how they're responding to something like a toilet like it it can be a scary thing so i thought that it did a really interesting job of kind of visualizing that and i i just like the visual of that toilet like came like rushing back to me and i was like oh me too no it totally did yeah i don't like it (laughs) this movie has two Hashtag me too moments that I had a really big problem with. In the first five minutes, there's a rape joke where she says, you wouldn't have fun while I'm sleeping. And he says, that's never stopped us before when he's trying to have sex with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Throwaway lines that in a, in a script today would oh, be I like, wrote, nope. Oh, I wrote it down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So that leads into like, she gets pregnant and there's another like Beach Boys sperm sequence, like in the first one. <laughs> that old chestnut. Yeah. So the sperm is basically raping the egg who continues to say, get away from me, get away from me. And he's going like, hot mom. Yeah, like she has a diaphragm in and you see the diaphragm and I thought that was like a clever thing, but like couldn't the diaphragm have been in there but the egg was happy to be conceived as opposed to, no, get off of me, get off of me. Like maybe the diaphragm was this wall the woman put in, but the egg is like, no, I want to be conceived. (laughs) This is a conversation we're having right now. (laughs) Yes, we are. We're We're having having a development meeting for the reboot. (laughs) Because it made it really creepy where like the egg is like, get off me, get off me, and the sperm is like, meh, I'm gonna get ya. Becky, can that actually happen <laughs> what? like inside your lady's body has an egg ever said like Did no your no egg no consent sperm to being fertilized yeah, I think I mean, we, we were on the same this. page my mind and my egg but like I just I had just had a problem with the whole thing of like get off me get off me and they were like yeah success we got in I just felt like that was just from today's perspective like it was creepy right Neener, neener, neener. Hey guys, I found a way through. Over here by the rim. Yes. Hey, Buster, how'd you get in here? This is my womb. Get out of here. Here we go. You know why I'm here. Come on, give it up. Give it up. Let me in, baby. Let me in. Come on, mama. Come on, hot mama. Yeah, hot mama. Ow. Ow. Hot mama! Yes! Yes! And again, I think it goes back to like how ill-conceived the whole concept is, you know, because obviously sperm are not sentient (laughs) and neither are eggs. 
and they don't actually think through the full consequences of what that would be. I mean, it's obvious to use like the metaphor of sex as sports, you know, and it's obviously like it's a competition in these like sequences, but then making it a sentient and conscious competition has some consequences that this movie just does not even attempt to deal with. Yeah, they made an important change, which is that the sperm is now not voice. Well, it, it would be Roseanne, I guess, but it's now voiced by John Travolta, so that at least makes sense because it's his sperm, mm-hmm. so it would have his voice, and that doesn't like raise any weird issues with like, is the child's personality already <laughs> in that sperm? But they didn't do the George Lucas thing of like dubbing John Travolta's voice back on the first film. Well, never say never. They could still go back. Technology's changing. Seminal edition. <laughs> and then the egg is voiced by Cursialia, not notably by Roseanne. So it is a bit strange because they're like kind of exaggerated versions of the characters. Because in this actual scene, she's kind of reluctant and he's like, I want to have sex. But in this like sort of microcosm of it, it's much more aggressive and much more defensive. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, it. It definitely is uncomfortable, for sure. The reason we have eggs and sperm is to have children, whether that's your choice or not. That's your, you know, that's a personhood thing. I don't know. We're getting really weird. But, like, I just really wish that the diaphragm was in there, but it just felt like a rape scene. So, like, it was just... Yeah. What if the diaphragm was more of, like, a cock blocker and was like, no, you can't get in there. Yeah, maybe the, maybe, <laughs> maybe <laughs> everything sorry, is said to you. <laughs> Becky, do your eggs talk like you? Um, no. One is Paula Poundstone. Okay. Oh, and, that's good. And that's... the other is Kathy Najimy. <laughs> <laughs> the eternal Kathy Najimy. <laughs> um, She's a busy lady these days. <laughs> She's in demand. She's got her head everywhere. There's a lot of toilet humor in this. In the, the plot of the movie is basically whether or not Mikey can go pee-pee in the potty. <laughs> pee-pee in the potty. Pee-pee this in the is, potty. This is the weirdest episode. Get used to it. This is all you're going to be talking about for the next five years. Life. Yeah, seriously, Becky. Oh my God. It's going to be a 24-7 soon. But that was also something that came flooding back to me. Is like I remember like singing that song. Um, <laughs> Around the campfire. I only remember family. the dance remix. <laughs> and then Mel Brooks toilet screaming like, give me that pee-pee, I need it. I mean, it's very disturbing and weird. Especially now. Yeah. <laughs> but it made me laugh more than anything, I think, in any of the the rest of these movies (laughs) yeah the toilet's just pure insatiable hunger for poo and pee was pretty great gross I don't like it (laughs) (laughs) I like how Gilbert Gottfried is also in this movie I was gonna see if anyone was gonna bring up Gilbert Gottfried what was he what was he the nursery guy he was the the... baby gym teacher yeah baby gym yeah baby gym teacher they were like we need to find someone with a more abrasive voice than Roseanne to, like, make her feel a little more yes, delicate or something. to smooth her out by comparison. <laughs> the series in all of the movies conveys our podcast mantra of babies in danger. <laughs> yes. Uh, this one has the most danger, probably, where their apartment actually catches on fire, which is yeah. a fairly yeah. dark moment. And also, like, Mikey saves Julie, which is, I mean, it's played in not the most harrowing way, but I don't know. It made me both, like, I had sort of a touched moment where he's saving his sister, but also kind of a, I don't know how I feel about babies being left alone in a fiery apartment. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah, I think this may have been the closest to an actual infant mortality that we've had so far. <laughs> 
Right, and then they kind of, they don't really react to it very much. They're like, oh, good, the kids are fine. And it's like, your apartment is on fire, and like... And also, your kids are traumatized now. It is rare that your kids are actually going to, like, of their own volition, like, escape a burning building. Like, that doesn't really happen. So, it just kind of felt like it was, like, a lot of this movie, I guess, is a shade darker than you would think from the premise and from the gimmick. It's, It's kind of a weird movie, but I guess that's why I appreciate it, is that it's a little rougher around the edges and kind of like darker and I I just find that more interesting. I don't know. I think it tries to punch a bit darker but then it pulls all those punches that like the last second. Just like you were saying with the fire sequence. So let's move on to the final chapter of the Look Who's Talking franchise. <laughs> the end For of the now. trilogy. <laughs> Look Who's Talking Now. This movie was only produced by Amy Heckerling. It was written and directed by Tom Ropolowski. Sorry, Tom. I butchered your name. It stars Kirstie Alley, John Travolta, and the voice of Danny DeVito and Diane Keaton as dogs. What's their names? Uh, Danny DeVito as Rox the dog, and Diane Keaton as Daphne the poodle. The budget was $22 million, and the Whoa. box office was $10 million. Oh! How far we fall. <laughs> it was released November 5th, 1993. For context... Seven months later, Pulp Fiction premiered at Cannes Film Festival. (laughs) So on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie has a 0%. Wow. (laughs) Out of 24 reviews, all are negative. My favorite Ken Hankey from the Mountain Express in Asheville, (laughs) North Carolina, had my favorite review again. This must be stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the plot of this movie is that Mikey and Julia are now old enough to talk on their own. So now we bring animals into the mix. (laughs) And uh, and they adopt a, a mutt named Rox, voiced by Danny DeVito. And for some reason or another, there's like some an, an affair subplot and they get a poodle named Daphne, voiced by Diane Keaton. And so like the dogs have this romance. Schwing! Hello, baby. Oh, my. What a set of paws. Hey, Powderpuff, how about you and me nosing through the garbage together? Ugh, what cat dragged you in? Kid just sprung me from the joint. I don't associate with mutts. I've got papers. I've been hit by those. Hurts like hell when they roll them up, huh, Daffy? It's Daphne, you tick magnet. Sheesh, like you never sniffed a butt. All right. There's like a love triangle going on between Kirstie Alley, John Travolta, and, and his one like, of the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and his like boss. I guess she's his boss yeah. or she's like a client or his only client like he's a pilot he's not a taxi driver anymore he's now a pilot but he only flies planes for this like rich business lady oh man yeah, he's like a personal pilot i watched this movie a lot growing up like a really? lot yeah i mean i watched all three of these movies a lot growing up but i i remember this one didn't have a potty <laughs> b plot so i liked it more than the second growing up i watched it a lot again watching this movie <laughs> with you guys we watched this one all together i knew a lot of the dialogue that was happening in a lot of the sequences. I remembered a lot of it. I definitely remember this one the best. And I feel like I might have seen it more times than the other ones because the first two were more adult. And this is pretty much straight down the middle of a kid's movie. There are a few adult jokes, but I think the tone of it very much takes on the tone of a family movie. And, like, everything in it is fairly safe. Like Yeah, this feels more like a Beethoven movie or something. Yeah, except for the moments that are, like... Uh, there's like a moment there's like weird fantasy moments and like there's stuff about boobs and sex yeah they're like dog fantasy moments well and Kirstie Alley flashes back to thinking of like the thing she wanted the most when she was growing up or something and 
it's uh, her saying screaming I'll never have breasts which I actually think is pretty funny it's really funny but it's like this is a children's movie this is very clearly a children's movie um, I didn't take a lot of notes because I watched it with you guys so I was just living in the moment <laughs> and I remember like it I was like on board for like a half hour because I knew it had a zero percent Rotten Tomatoes where I was like this doesn't deserve a zero <laughs> and I was like this is just a children's movie you know but like as the movie were on my patience was tested and I was like oh this movie's bad it's just like, terrible like, it's just terrible bad like these again their marriage is on the rocks and like they don't act like re- a real married couple in real life would and they don't talk to each other or communicate but but like I mean people don't do that in real life but this isn't a completely comical over the top right. way it's so stupid. It's just stupid. I don't see very much difference between the three of these movies. Really? I don't see a ton of difference, especially watching all three of them together now. What? From the first one? No. I don't... No, I, don't... I just... I, I don't think all the elements are there in the first one that added up to what it measures up to for you. Do you feel like you perceived watching it differently than you had before? Yeah, I was an adult this time, a pregnant person watching. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I just, I see a huge difference in tone between the first one and the third one. Even the second one. Like, they just seem like completely different movies. Mm. I'm not in love with the first one, but I was entertained by it. I think you want to have babies with the first one. More than the other two, yeah. I just want to have dogs with the third one. (laughs) (laughs) I was charmed by the first movie, and the other two, I felt like, completely fell flat. That if the franchise started with either of the other two, like, I wouldn't be charmed at all by them. They would just be bad movies. Whereas the first one, I felt like there was something there. See, I actually think that this one did the best job of melding, like, the voiceover gimmick with the family stuff. Like, it, it to me, this actually felt more like a consistent movie with one clear vision than either of the other two did. It does have, again, like, sort of a romantic marriage subplot, but it's pitched in a way where it's kind of broad in this one, and it doesn't have any of that kind of, like, scrappy quality that is in the first one that I like, but then felt so at odds with the dumbness of most of the baby lines. Whereas this one, like, it really helped that, like, it was dogs, I think, and there's no question that, like, they're communicating with people or, you know, that they're one day going to talk, their mouths aren't moving, along with it and it's just it's much simpler to have this like kind of like lady in the tramp story happening underneath this other story to me that syncs up fine and like nothing in this movie is transcendent but also i felt like so much little of it really stuck out as did in the other ones when there was like the breast line is like kind of adult but that's still a pg joke whereas like there's stuff in number one and two that is not pg at all and paired with like this kind of babyish like commercial level humor like that that didn't work so i actually i don't know if i would call this the best one for me but i would go with the second one as a a favorite but i would say that this one works for me better than the first one wow i cannot say that i can't believe who's talking now yeah i can't believe what you're saying while you're talking oh it's just it's not good it's just so poorly written well i just i don't 
Like, what specifically in this movie is so different from the first one? Just the tone? I feel like that there's just no charm. There, At least in the first one, things were clever or presented cleverly and, and filmed interestingly. Like, there was some thought behind it. And the third one just felt like cash grab, do it as quickly as possible. It didn't feel like a look who's talking movie. It felt like, here's a movie about dogs, and here's a movie about a marriage. And you kind of felt mm-hmm. that way about the first one, but I didn't. I felt like I felt like it worked naturally with the baby's thoughts. But the third one, just even the plots didn't have anything to do with each other, the dogs and the humans. They just got so dumb by the end. Like, at least in the first one, I saw shades of, these are real people. John Travolta says this is the most like him. I can see that. Like, he's probably, like, loves kids, has, like, an optimistic personality, is a friendly guy. But by the the third one it's like these people are not real <laughs> i thought this one had a more believable like marriage storyline than the second one did not the first one i don't know like the focus on the kids i think actually really works and it's kind of interesting seeing these characters have grown up to this point to the where they're now actually people like you don't often in movies get to grow up with a kid even though it's obviously not the same actors I think it was interesting to see, like, how that sort of talking baby has evolved into, like, kind of a cynical kid. And he's kind of a downer. And one of the main plot lines is that he's upset that he believes that there's no Santa Claus. And so part of the plot is, like, his parents trying to, like, teach him to believe in the magic of Christmas again. And I, like, related to that just because, like, I remember that, you know, from my own childhood and dealing with that. But I just, I found that to be... Again, like more on the scale with what the rest of this movie was doing than ever before. And at least it gave them something to do. I I don't think it had a lot to do with the dog subplot, but the dogs are actually a very minor part of this movie. I mean, they really don't need to be there. But that's what we've said about kind of all of the talking animals. And I think that there are some genuinely, like, touching moments in this, like in the other ones. Like when they sing the Chipmunks Christmas song to the kids. Like, they do a fun little musical number. And there's, like, little moments like that that I think basically are right in step with the other movies. I, I really don't see hardly any difference between them at all. I mean, I feel like if you could cut all the best elements from all three of these movies together, it would make one really, really good movie. But I don't think any one of these movies is really good. This one also had the best fantasy sequences, I thought. Uh, they're the worst ones. <laughs> I hate all of it. When she, like, the um, rich bitch basically disappears and then her, like, the only thing that's left of her is her fake tits. Right, this is a children's movie. <laughs> I saw that when I was a kid and I thought it was funny back uh. then, like... That worked better for me than the humor in, like, the first one did. Remember in Adam's Family when the same exact thing happened, except when Joan Cusack, she's like a pile (laughs) of dust, but all that's left is, like, is it, like, jewelry and credit cards? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how you do a children's family movie, like, joke like that. Not her breast implants, like, fall to the ground. (laughs) Yeah, best look who's talking movie, Adam's Family Values. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think these movies are like, well, I hate the second and third. Just to sum it up, I'm charmed by the first one. I was surprised that I liked it. Would I recommend it? I don't know. (laughs) Is it streaming? Put it on. I don't know. It's not a hard like, yeah, watch this movie. (laughs) I'd say if you happen to see who's talking, that's fine. But you don't have to go and look who's talking. Um, Yeah, I feel like they're all kind of very mediocre. And I don't think there's a compelling reason to check any of them out unless you're like a super fan of Kirstie Alley or Amy Heckerling or something like that. Or John Travolta. Um, You could do better than these movies, I would say. If you're looking for a comedy, like you could definitely do better. I think it is funny that we talked about the Travolta slump 
and then he got it. He he got back in the limelight with Luke's talking one, and then by the end of the series, he was back in a slump. And then seven months later, he was in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, this was also developed into a TV series called Baby Talk mm-hmm. uh, by Amy Heckerling. So that's what she was doing. Tony Danza uh, had the voice of of Baby Mikey. So she was working on this talking baby thing for four years. Oh my god. Like, she did Fast Times and then this and various incarnations of this and then Clueless. And that's it for that period. God, I'm glad she moved on from talking babies eventually. <laughs> like, yeah, what was what was she babies. trying to work out with that? I don't think it would have been... I think it's because the first one was a surprise hit. Maybe. That's it. You Maybe. Know? Otherwise it'd be a one-off and we wouldn't be talking about it right now. <laughs> Nobody would be talking. <laughs> Nobody's. <laughs> Babies would be silent. <laughs> I hope my baby has nice things to think about me as she watches me try to raise her. <laughs> well, are you eating spicy foods? Yeah, I am. Well. Yeah. Would you still love your baby if its <laughs> inner monologue was Roseanne? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would love my baby. <laughs> I'm not going to announce on a podcast that I'm not going to love my baby. She will fire it from its show, but she'll yeah, still love but, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm not going to let my baby tweet if she has the voice of Roseanne, but... <laughs> She's probably already tweeting. I don't think she gets Wi-Fi in there. <laughs> you didn't equip her with a Wi-Fi stomach? <laughs> Does this womb have Wi-Fi? You don't have a baby router? So by the time you listen to this, Becky could be in labor, like, at this very moment. <laughs> Keep breathing, Becky. Do your breathing. The, by the time I listen to this? <laughs> so... <laughs> Listeners. I was looking at Becky, but I am actually speaking to a very wide audience. But I'll be listening to this on my way to uh, the hospital. <laughs> you may be, and also talking in exorcist voice. Yeah. <laughs> we have another exciting announcement on this episode as well, and that is that this episode wraps up two years of the When We Were Young podcast. Look who's talking, too. Our biennial. <laughs> We're still talking. <laughs> That's not surprising. (laughs) So we wanted to just kind of reflect back on mostly the last year of doing this, since we did this a year ago in our uh, Bleed Runner episode. As a first question on doing the podcast, I will say, so we've covered a lot of topics in the past year of various ranges of quality. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the podcast episodes were all five stars. Top quality. (laughs) Absolutely. What episode have you enjoyed preparing for the most? I thought this would be an easy answer, and I would just say The Simpsons. <laughs> I thought that would also be your easy answer. But did I really prepare for that, or was I just living my life? <laughs> you prepared for that in the womb, I think. <laughs> I'm looking at a list of all of our episodes, and I feel like I really liked the Birdcage Ellen in and out episode, hmm. because out of the three of us, I enjoyed all of them. <laughs> they were things that I hadn't watched in a while, and I, I bought all of them on DVD <laughs> after <laughs> Um, but I also enjoyed the Big Lebowski episode because it gave me an excuse to watch, like, all the Coen Brothers movies, which I thought was a really great experience. It was just a good excuse to, like, revisit their whole catalog. I don't know if you're going to ask this or not, but Showgirls was my favorite episode to record. <laughs> By far. I think I, I think I personally listened to that one, like, three times <laughs> because I love Showgirls. So maybe my answer is Showgirls. <laughs> what about you, Seth? 
Definitely Lebowski and Golden Girls, I would say. Because it had been a while since I had watched a lot of Golden Girls all at once. And it was just, again, like a perfect excuse to watch as much of those episodes as I possibly could. And again, like Lebowski, I I didn't watch nearly as many Coens as as Becky did. No one Um, did. (laughs) No one has. I don't think the Coens have seen as much of their movies as Becky has now. But it was great, like, learning so much more about a movie that was already my favorite movie. Yeah, for me, I think it was the Madonna episode, just because it's definitely the one I prepared the most for. Like, I started months <laughs> in advance because I knew that there was so much to cover. And it just really gave me an excuse to kind of go back and listen to an artist that I really liked, but had never, like, had a reason to, like, listen to her entire discography back to back, which I basically did for that episode. And I just found that I... Like, in watching the video, there's so much, you know, she has movies, and even with all that preparation, I really didn't feel like I had covered everything, and yet it it gave me, like, a deeper appreciation of something that I already really liked, but for me, I think it's sometimes fun to, like, rediscover something that you like, but you don't necessarily, like, always do your homework on, and when once you actually, like, go back, you can appreciate it even a little bit more than you did. It does, like, enrich your enjoyment of it, definitely. Yeah. Did you guys have any episodes that you did not enjoy preparing for? The teen movies. In- immediate. <laughs> yeah. Immediate. Instant immediate. Oh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. No, it's been Because I than really didn't care for the volcano movies. I didn't care for any of the disaster movies but Twister. Actually, I thought I might be more into the Spice Girls, but I think I said this in the episode where I just listened to the very first one and I was like, fine. And then the second song started and I was like, oh, I gotta listen to so much of this. <laughs> so yeah. it's not like awful, but I was like, I don't really, I'm not really in the mood for this. <laughs> Yeah, the Spice Girls was one of those for me, too. Just that, like, it, I wasn't eager to. It wasn't, like, torture to do it. But, like, if we had actually had to, like, listen through to all their albums, it would have been a lot more yeah. <laughs> difficult. I was really dreading The Simpsons just because I knew what I was getting into. <laughs> and, like, I felt that I really, like, I was going to be with some super fans. <laughs> and I really had to, like, you know, kind of pay attention. And I, d- I just knew already that I was going to be blown out of the water if I even opened my mouth. <laughs> So let's talk about the actual content of what we reviewed and and talked about on the podcast. I would ask, what was the biggest bad surprise in terms of what did you watch or listen to that you really had thought would hold up and then found either didn't hold up or at least had bigger problems than you were expecting? I was pretty disappointed that I didn't get more out of all of Madonna's full albums. I still like the singles, but I thought going back and listening to them, I would be more into the full album, but no, not for any of them, really. Hmm. That's funny. Like, just that we had such opposite (laughs) experiences of that. Yeah. I was definitely disappointed recently that Armageddon was not more of the entertaining, horrible Michael Bay and more of the horrible, horrible Michael Bay. Um... (laughs) And I was also, again, just disappointed in all of the disaster movies. I wanted Volcano to just be either funnier or like a more serious action movie, and it was just none of that. Mm -hmm. For me, I think it might have been The Birdcage that I just really didn't think held up to kind of any adult perspective for me, is it just felt ridiculous and the Adams family also like the first one specifically I really didn't think both of those movies they have funny moments and performances but I really felt that like the stories of both of them like completely fell apart 
Actually, that opinion is the most disappointing <laughs> episode. I just rewatched Adam's Family Values again, and I was th- I was like, why doesn't Chris like this? It feels like a Chris no, movie. No, I like that one. Well, I like most of it. Or I guess why I just I was surprised because of how much you like the Brady Bunch that they seem so similar to me. Yeah. That I'm surprised that that wasn't a movie growing up that you like loved and you're not like obsessed with it. Well, it's because I I feel like they kind of messed up the premise of like having them interact with the real world, and that's what I like about the Brady Bunch movies is mm-hmm. that it's like this fish out of water thing, and then in the Adams family they're just a fish in weird water <laughs> in dark water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will also say that I was kind of forced to confront Titanic a bit more with this podcast. (laughs) Head on. Yes. uh, Like, even actually less, like, in the episode itself and more, like, when I listened back to it, I was like, "Mm, they kind of have some points. Oh, yeah! Awesome. (laughs) High five. five. (laughs) Where I still really like the movie and stand by it as such a spectacle masterpiece of a kind. I got a little bit more, like, once we got into, like, specific issues with the movie, I started to, like, kind of see what people were objecting to on a deeper level than just, you know, kind of vague criticisms. And I was like, all right, like, that's a valid perspective. Thanks. (laughs) So we held up pretty good, it sounds like. (laughs) Only in that episode. Yeah, if only then. And now I'll ask the opposite question, which is, what is your biggest good surprise? What was the thing that held up better than you thought it would, even if it was something you already liked, but something that you went in thinking, maybe this isn't going to work in 2018, and were surprised to find that it did? I was surprised that I liked Look Who's Talking. (laughs) So was I. (laughs) We all were. (laughs) I was very surprised. It was entertaining. Okay. (laughs) Look, you don't have to agree with me. I'm just And I'm, I don't. I I if if you were talking to Becky before seeing this, she'd probably be like, What? But yeah, that's yeah, why I was I surprised. That, Becky. <laughs> Where'd, Where'd she that go? Becky go? Well, I mean, super recently I thought Jurassic Park held up so much better than I even expected it to, and I knew it was gonna hold up. That for me was a movie on a level of like twister in terms of just really surprising you, not just with how well they stand the test of time, but how uh, how far other movies pale in comparison. Uh, all of the kind of regurgitations and reimaginings of these things that have come in the wake of them. Um, a little bit further back, I would definitely say Coming to America also was just a pleasant surprise. Not that it was a movie that I had a super long history with, but just kind of revisiting it from a critical perspective, still seeing just the tremendous value in that movie and how much it holds up over time. To the extent that they remade it this year in Black Panther. (laughs) 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 I have a few. Um... The first one I'll say was the first episode of this batch, which is Blade Runner. Just that I had seen it once and kind of not connected to it, and so I really didn't know what I was going to expect. And I found that even though it has a lot of weird aspects and and things that are kind of incongruous, that it's really a rich movie to kind of dive into and and think about. So that was a nice surprise. You'll like this one, because it's The Big Lebowski. I was really not expecting to enjoy that at all and now it's still not a like one of my favorite comedies or like totally in the vein of comedy that i like but like if people now say oh i like the big love ask i'm not like uh i'm actually like yeah you know valid choice gross (laughs) that's gross yeah (laughs) the real answer though is showgirls what are you talking about (laughs) 
digging into it was so interesting. <laughs> that, like, I had expected it to be just kind of like dismissible, like, oh, that's bad. And as we talked about in the episode, it's so many like layers of bad and like <laughs> kinds of bad, like working against each other that it actually like kind of elevated it into this like form of high art for me. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I think the art of the film really revealed itself upon our critical review. As did Perlavia. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to go into the showdown of all our topics from the past uh, year. And we'll see which of them comes out on top. Are you ready for this? No. <laughs> so our first uh, death match is Look Who's Talking, the whole series, versus... <laughs> Christmas TV specials. So that was The Grinch, <laughs> Charlie Brown Christmas, and Rudolph. I would rather watch Look Who's Talking than any three of those. Oh, no. Christmas. Christmas specials. Chris. I also go Christmas. Uh, Come on. Goodbye, Look Who's Talking. <laughs> and goodbye, Becky. The death match means you leave the podcast now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did say we're going to execute the person oh, who no. gets the least points, right? <laughs> I think you left that out. This wouldn't last very long. <laughs> it's a quit game. Uh, next death match is The Simpsons versus The Addams Family. The Simpsons. Duh. <laughs> the Addams Family. What? Ooh, I feel like I have so much power right you, now. You're the swing vote here. <laughs> I have to go with The Simpsons, even though I kind of want to take that out just because I know it's wow. a powerful... Quantity and quality. Two for Becky. But yeah, I would definitely say that as a whole, yeah, The Simpsons. Uh, Die Hard versus Blade Runner. Die Hard. Die Hard. Hmm, I would probably go with Blade Runner, but I think that's um, a very close call. So It's one of those things that when I'm in the mood for Blade Runner, I'm really in the mood for it, but I'm not always in the mood for that movie. But you're always in the mood for Die Hard. Uh, all, you can pop that on any old time. Got it. All right, Coming to America versus The Big Lebowski. Oh, come on. That is mean. Mm-hmm. That is dark-sided. And I have to pick The Big Lebowski. I just do. I have to pick it. I'm going to go with Coming to America. How come you get the tie-breaking vote? I don't. <laughs> this is how he crafted this. This is the dangerous web he weaves. You were free to pick either one of those, and maybe we all agree, yeah. but yeah, you guys have not been agreeing. <laughs> I was not expecting, honestly, this or The Simpsons to have any influence over it at all, so this is very exciting for me. <laughs> Do you feel I'm more powerful than you expected? Gonna go with Coming to America. It's totally understandable. Again, yeah. it's like, that's in that death match. I think I choose death. Because yeah. I don't want to have to pick yeah. between those yeah. movies. It's yeah. just, yeah, it's like, a, it's a more unusual movie, uh, I would say, like, in its aesthetic. Stephen King versus Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oof. So Stephen King in general, or It and Stand By Me versus the plays that we talked about? All of Stephen King versus all of Andrew Lloyd Webber. The way I'm going to answer this is I'm going to pick my favorite Christine. The Christine (laughs) from Phantom of the Opera or Christine. (laughs) Christine. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm definitely going to say Stephen King. What are you going to pick? Stephen King. I think I probably went Andrew Lloyd Webber. Well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just so I'm not always a tiebreaker, I will answer first on the next one. Video games and the wizard <laughs> versus 90s teen heartthrobs. And I'm going to go 90s teen heartthrobs. <laughs> I mean, what are, what are we, like the quality or like... <laughs> Would you rather all video games not have existed or none of... <laughs> No Jonathan Taylor Thomas ever. If you're asking me would I rather watch all these JTT movies again or play <laughs> Super Mario, I would rather play Super Mario, but, <laughs> like, 
But which, like, do you want to, like, exist in pop culture more? I guess yeah. JTT. Yeah, JTT. Okay, I'm gonna fuck Mario, <laughs> marry JTT, and kill the wizard. <laughs> Accurate. Is that a vote for 90s Teen Heart Clubs? If you want to call it that, sure. Okay. Dante's Peak and Volcano... Or Deep Impact and Armageddon. Well, considering I liked Deep Impact and I hated everything else, I guess Deep Impact and Armageddon. But my hatred of Armageddon <laughs> is so strong. Exactly. Remember the purity. Uh, in this death match, I choose the death of all of the above. <laughs> you can't. Something has to survive. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I have. Don't worry. It'll be gone the next round. I've made my choice. My choice <laughs> is that a meteor destroys us all. <laughs> he went with meteors, so... <laughs> No. Which one? Volcanoes or asteroids? Volcanoes, only because I know I'll be able to go shop at the Beverly Center. I also choose volcanoes. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. I would I would have picked Deep Impact, so. The Craft versus Showgirls. Showgirls! Showgirls. I also go Showgirls. Witch versus a bitch. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> the Spice Girls versus the Golden Girls. The Golden Girls. You know which girls I'm going to choose. Oh, Spice Girls, then? No, that's I, not those. That's unanimous. We all pick the Golden Girls. <laughs> yes. Madonna versus the Birdcage and In and Out. Uh, it's a tough choice for the gays. I mean, I guess Madonna. Madonna. I guess Madonna, but only I guess Madonna. Surprisingly, <laughs> I will also go with Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about Mary, or she's all that, never been kissed, and 10 things I hate about God, you. God, are you kidding me? <laughs> no. Definitely something about Mary, but. Eh. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's the point in time when the fuel starts to burn. Like he's going into labor. <laughs> uh, the baby chooses. I guess Cameron Diaz is charming, so there's something about Mary. I also choose that. Good, good job, team. <laughs> Last of this round is uh, Titanic versus Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Without Jurassic Park. Yeah, I. I had no doubt in my mind that that is how that would go. All right, now we will deathmatch the deathmatch. Are you finding this interesting, listeners? <laughs> they might. Can someone please send us uppers? Please send uppers to the MFP Studios studio. Now we have Christmas TV specials versus The Simpsons. The Simpsons. Simpsons. I would go with Christmas TV specials. Oh, really? Yes, I would. You're wrong. Die Hard versus Coming to America. Coming to America. Coming to America. I would go die hard. Stephen King versus 90s teen heartthrobs. I want to see that matchup. <laughs> Again, this is me. I would rather like watch Stephen King movies, or I'd rather watch JTT movies, or just ge- general... I don't Answer know with I mean. your heart. Well, Stephen King. JTT. Oh, I'm a tiebreaker. Uh... Can you please use that tie to break <laughs> JTT in half? I don't know. Stephen King or 90s teen heartthrobs. I really enjoyed the 90s teen heartthrobs. <laughs> I mean, Stephen King has contributed a little more greatly to pop culture. I'm just going from what we talked about on the podcast, so... Right. I mean, a lot of those movies were bad. Oh, but The Shining. Okay. Stephen King. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. Dante's Peak and Volcano versus anything. I think we know the answer is, but how about Showgirls? <laughs> um, yeah, that would be you're Showgirls. Just, yeah, you're just... 
You're trying to just save showgirls. You really are trying to make showgirls be the top. You're going to knock all the other ones down the stairs. I'm not doing anything. Of course not, Puppet Master. (laughs) The Golden Girls versus Madonna. Madonna. The Golden Girls. I pick Madonna. Sorry, ladies. That's ageist. And uh, last but not least, there's something about Mary versus Jurassic Park. (laughs) There's something about Velociraptors. (laughs) Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Correct. All right. (laughs) Three uh, rounds here. Can it just not go to automatic elimination? The Simpsons versus Die Hard. Simpsons. Simpsons. Die Hard. Okay. Stephen King versus Showgirls. 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 Madonna versus Jurassic Park. (laughs) Jurassic Park. Easily. Rather experience. I would rather Jurassic Park with a Madonna soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) Or... That's close to a dinosaur noise. Uh, Madonna. Ooh, I'm the tiebreaker between Madonna and Jurassic Park? (laughs) See, this is is what you set yourself up for. Yeah. Now you you have to live with your choice. Kill Sophie's choice. <laughs> Chris, which of your gods will you kill? <laughs> one of them has to never exist. Which one? Banished from the universe. I can't do it, you guys. <laughs> yeah. You're the one that set this up. Well, I wasn't expecting this. All you, ca- all you cared about was if you could, not whether or not you should. <laughs> Jurassic Park. Oh, wow. Life Donna finds a way. Had, like- she got stumped by a T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Forgive me, Mother Madonna. <laughs> And we now have uh, three topics left to all fight against each other. The Simpsons, Showgirls, and Jurassic Park. It's not... Oh, there's three left? Mm-hmm. Oh, Simpsons. I mean, Simpsons for me. Simpsons. I mean, I'll say I for know. me, it's Jurassic Park for sure. I mean, I killed Madonna for this, so... I think for me, it is Showgirls. Uh-oh! Three ways! <laughs> Yeah. Do they all go up against Seinfeld? I mean, I guess. (laughs) Do they form the Megazord and like join together? I think that we can't have a winner. We all pick three different things. Yeah, I was not expecting this. (laughs) This is... Well, does does Seinfeld beat any of those? Like... For me, Jurassic Park would still win. Mm, No, I think The Simpsons would beat Seinfeld for me. Hmm. For me, Showgirls is based both on how much I enjoy that movie and also how much I loved like revisiting it with you guys and both laughing about the insanity of it, but really like unpacking it. It's as much about my experience of the movie as it is my experience of that episode and making that episode. But that's fair. So you'd pick so Showgirls versus Seinfeld, you pick Showgirls? Yes, because I don't... As, as much as I loved Seinfeld and loved that episode as well, I don't think there's all that much new that I gleaned from Seinfeld that I kind of didn't know going in. I think the only thing that could beat Seinfeld for me is The Simpsons. Well, Seinfeld is down because we all defeated <laughs> it with our three three-way tie winners. Which so. And it takes three so this podcast. Yeah. It's The Simpsons, yeah. Showgirls, and Jurassic Park. Like... <laughs> So congratulations to those uh, three pop culture juggernauts. (laughs) You'll be receiving your certificates in the mail. (laughs) Each one of us will sign our respective choice. Did we ever find out if uh, I was actually talking to JTT? Did he write in? Uh, He did not. (laughs) No, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, let's be optimistic. (laughs) (laughs) That's the big mystery we'll solve in season three (laughs) of the When We Were Young podcast. 
And that's all the seasoning we have time for on this episode of When We Were Young. On our next podcast, we def- def- definitely take a deep dive into the Oscar-winning 1988 family drama and road trip movie Rain Man, starring Dustin Hoffman, Tom Cruise, and Valeria Golino. When We Were Young is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review of five stars or more. And you can contact us on any of the social medias to suggest future episodes. I've been Seth Pearson. I'm Becky. And I had to kill Madonna. (laughs) (laughs) It was bound to happen. Round, round, get around, I get around, yeah, get around, round, round, I get around, I get around.